And Lord, we thank you for uh, again this night, and we thank you for the preciousness of your word. And we ask now that you'd speak deeply to us concerning your heart, your mind, your thoughts. In Jesus' name, amen. Romans chapter 12. And tonight we're looking at verse 10. It's where we're going to start. Again, remember that in the first 11 chapters, he talks about our justification. How are we made without sin before God? How are we prepared for eternal life? It's not by our works, it's by faith in Christ. He did all of the work. And hopefully, the time you get to Romans chapter 11, you're so overwhelmed with His goodness. You're so overwhelmed with His love, so overwhelmed with His kindness and mercy and His patience that you say, okay, Lord, what is it you want me to do? What can I do for you? It would be like if somebody came to your house and they knocked on your door and they said, okay, let's get all your charge cards together. Let's get your mortgage. Let's get your car payment. Let's get it all laid out here. And then they write a check for every penny you owe. And then they say, okay, now here's your second check, $10 million. And you're overwhelmed going, my goodness gracious, this is all, you know, this is amazing. They just, I just want to bless you. I just love you. I just want to bless you. And then they say, man, I'm a little bit thirsty. Could you get me a drink of water? And you're going, oh, I just sat down. Go get yourself something to drink. There's some water. Don't touch the Coke. That's mine. But uh, you, can, you can get some water in there and, and, you know, but I'm just too tired to get up. Would that be your attitude? I don't think so. I think you'd be so overwhelmed that you're going, man, I'll get you whatever kind of drink you want, as big as you want. Crushed ice, I'll crush it by hand, you know. Whatever you want. I'll, you're so overwhelmed, you see. And that's what God does. And this is love. Not that we love God, but that we understand His love for us. And that perfect love, you see, it casts out all fear. And so when we are overwhelmed with God's love, when we are pickled in His grace, when we continually sense His good pleasure towards us, His mercy, then we truly read, this is your reasonable, your logical response, as we read here in chapter 12, to give your body as a living, holy sacrifice. And our hearts, to those who really have been touched by the love and the goodness of God, is that's all? You just want me to give everything that I am to you? That's all? Can't I do more than that? And then after we give our all to God and we live for Him every second, we give Him all that we have, we still say, Lord, I wish I could live 10 million years to give over and over and over and over and over again, once again, my life to you and to serve you forever and ever. But time's running out. When we get to heaven, there's no more loss to be found. There's no more weary to be lifted up. There's no none depressed to be encouraged. This is our only opportunity now to serve God. This is our only opportunity now to serve one another. Today on the Every Man and Answer show, a guy called in and he was quite perplexed over some verses that talk about loss of reward. And he said, now is there any way to make up, you know, if you've blown it, try to, to redeem? Uh, no. 
There's no way to redeem that precious time that you've wasted. I, I wish I could say, oh, no problem. Just ask the Lord. He'll ta- tack on an extra 10 years for you to you know, make it up. That's not the way it works. 1 Corinthians 3 makes it clear. Every day upon that foundation which is Christ, we are building. Today I'm building a stone of what? Hay, wooden stubble? My flesh life, lusting, self-centered, covetous, living for myself rather than God. That stone, that, that brick is there, folks. It's a part of the house. And then tomorrow I, I seek the face of God and I'm wanting to put Him first. And I say, Lord, I, I want to be fruitful for Your kingdom. And as I yield my body as a living holy sacrifice, there goes on another brick of precious metals and stones. And wow, that's there too. And one day when we stand before God, He will judge us and the fire is put to that house. And it says, whatever stands is your reward. But if all is burned up, yet your soul is saved, but what a great loss. And so we who are of mature mind, we who understand God's great love for us, we have nothing but in our heart to say, God, I want to give more to you. Lord, I understand that some bear 30-fold, some 60 and some 100. Lord, my life is yielded. I want to bear 100-fold every single day. I want to have a hundred-story building of precious metals, of precious stones that have been built to your glory and the praise of your name. And so now we come to understand that we are justified not by our works, but by God's gift. We don't receive it because we're worthy of it. We receive it because he's good. And now what do we do? The second part, sanctification. Now, somebody asks sometimes, well, how do you know if a person is truly justified? You can see it in the sanctification. I can't look at your heart and see if the Lord's really living in there. But, as we saw last week, if you have a hypocritical faith, you're loving, but yet you're a hypocrite, then we start doubting. Jesus says no good tree can bear bad fruit and no bad tree can bear good fruit. You can know them by their fruits. That doesn't mean we live without sin. We all sin. But yet there is a genuine, sincere life of trying to serve the Lord. Weak we may be. Falling short we may be. But yet there is that sincere faith that says, Oh Lord, ah, I want to live for you. Help me to hate that which you hate to the degree you hate it and help me to love what you love to the degree you love it. And our heart is wanting to abhor that which is evil and cling to that which is good. That is a regenerated heart, you see. And our heart is set on wanting to serve as we have been served by God. Jesus washed the apostles' feet and said, now as you call me Master and Lord, and you're right, I am. And I wash your feet. Now, happy are you if you go and wash others' feet. And we've got our feet washed a hundred million times by God, and we're saying, okay, 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 I'm overwhelmed. I'm pickled in your grace and in your mercy and your love and your giving to me. I can receive no more. I must give out. And our heart overflows like the opening of the gates of a dam that just says, I want to serve. I want to minister. I want to bless. And this is where we come to say, absolutely. This is what we need to be doing. Now, as always, because we are in sinful flesh, we ebb and we flow. We have highs and we have lows. We have diligence and we have laziness. We have strength 
and we have weakness. And I wish I could say I am strong and I continue strong, but I don't. I wish I could say I'm on fire and I stay on fire, but I don't. And so this is why this is written to us. You don't go to somebody on their honeymoon and say, okay now, really love each other. (laughs) But three years down the road, you have to go sometimes and say, hey, love each other. And so we, because we're in sinful flesh, need to be told, this is the will of God, your sanctification. Let's look at a couple passages, and then we're going to come back to verse 10, really. 1 Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians, turn to the right a few pages. There in chapter 4, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, it says, Finally then, brethren, we urge and exhort in the Lord Jesus that you should abound more and more. The Christian life is a growing life. Just as you receive from us how you ought, must, should, walk, and to please God. For you know what commandments we gave you through the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, what? Your sanctification. Again, what is sanctification? Sanctification means set apart. It's also the same root for holy. It could be said, you could actually read this. As a matter of fact, some translations in Hebrews 10.14 says, through the one sacrifice he is now perfected forever, those he's now sanctifying. Some translations say being made holy. It's the same root. So this is the will of God, your holiness. Now again, holiness, we've got to step back because a lot of times people say all it means is to be pure and not to be impure like God is pure. I think if we really got down to it, it just means to be unique. God is unique. He's unique in purity, absolutely. I don't want to take that away. But he's unique in a lot of other ways. Jesus was a unique person. And so as we go through the Gospels, we try to climb into his brain and to say, what is he thinking? Why would he say that? Why would he react that way? Why does he do what he does? And we know that person. I've got four kids. And if you were to talk to them, you would not think they were born from the same woman and have the same parents. They are all very unique and different. And so, again, God himself is unique, and we need to be unique as God is unique. We need to be as he is. And so, again, this is the will of God, is that we would walk like Christ, talk like Christ, that we would be Christian, which means Christ-like. So this is the will of God, that we would have that separatedness, to be holy, to be unique as he is. And then in particular, that you should abstain from sexual morality, that each of you should know how to possess his own vessel, referring to your body, in sanctification and honor. That word honor is pretty well slipped from the vocabulary of our society today. Not in passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no one should take an advantage of you and defraud his brother in this matter, because the Lord is the avenger of all such, as we also forewarned you and testified. 
For God did not call us to uncleanness, but in holiness. Therefore, he rejects this, does not reject man, but God who has also given us of his Holy Spirit. And so we read this and we go, okay, this is the will of God, that he is leading me in the direction of sanctification. Now, justification is 100% done by God. How do I receive it? When I am willing to surrender my life to Christ, right? I say, Lord, I'm a sinner, and I ask that you would come into my life, that you would forgive me of my sin and be the Lord of my life. The justification is now given to me. It's mine. Christ is in me. I am in him, and I'm given the gift of eternal life. Sanctification, again, Now, this is the important point, okay? And this is a really important point. We see the will of God is that I walk as he would walk, talk as he talked, and it is my responsibility to understand that. Can I do it? No. God doesn't expect us to do it. Look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 23. The same book, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 23. Now may the God of peace himself, it's emphatic in the Greek, himself is is not necessarily there. It's now may the God of peace without anybody else's aid, help, or at all, all by himself, sanctify you completely. How? May your whole spirit, soul, and body, all three dimensions, be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful and also will do it. Do you understand that? God wishes all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. But are all men going to be saved? No. Because not all men will humble themselves, confess that they're a sinner, and receive of the gift of Jesus Christ. It is God's will that every Christian would walk in sanctification. That every Christian would understand that they need to give their body in sanctification and in honor. Don't let anybody defraud you in this matter. He who rejects this does not reject man, but God. The Holy Spirit is at work in sanctifying you. So, as man who is in the world right now, there is this giant pot of gold of eternal life that is his if he will humble himself and receive from God. In the same way, so many Christians are eating the crumbs of Christianity. So many are scavenging for little tiny droplets off the table. When God is calling us unto that holy life. And so we who have been matured and understanding God's great love for us, understanding His great mercy and His patience and how He wants to keep us, our hearts have to be stirred. And we come to that place to say, if one died for all, then all should die and no longer live for themselves. As Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, that dying would be present in me, that life would be in you. And so we who are truly born again cannot be saved with life insurance. You see people from time to time going, well, I was four years old, I asked God in my life, it doesn't matter how I live. That's their attitude. Well, I don't think any of us have that idea tonight, but often 
people have a various degree of that. They say, well, I've received the Lord. I go to church every Sunday and I read my Bible every day. It doesn't matter if I do this. And I come back to say, be ye holy as the Lord your God is holy. God wants to sanctify you to the same degree that Jesus Christ lived and walked and talked. Is it going to happen? Well, 1 Thessalonians 4 and 5. The God of our Lord Jesus Christ by himself will ultimately do it when we're in heaven. Spirit, soul, and body will be brand new in him on that day. But while on earth, God wants to do this very thing. And I'll tell you what, to the willingness of your heart, God will take you forward. Now, God in his spirit is definitely moving us all forward. If you're a born-again believer, you are moving forward. It may be at a snail's pace because you're caught up in some sin or because you're loving this present world more than the things of God. But you are moving forward. If you're not, you're not God's child. But the idea is, is that it would really take off. That we would say as Paul in Philippians 3.10, he says, all I want to do is know you, the power of your resurrection, the fellowship of your suffering, that I, be, that I might be made conformable into the image of your death. Lord, it's not I who live, but it's you who live in me. For me to live is Christ. Period. That's it. That's my life. My life is now hidden in Christ and God. Put your mind on the things above where Christ is seated, not on the things of this earth. Some are saying, I don't want just to put my eyes on the things of above because, well, I know the Lord, I know Jesus probably wouldn't do it, but boy, I enjoy it. Well, I pray for you that you may hate that which God hates to the degree he hates it, that you may love the things that God loves to the degree he loves it. You were called in cleanness and in purity and in holiness. And this we are to walk in. Well, to whatever degree you're willing to accept that, at least walk in that measure. Don't go any farther backwards. But, as he says there in Philippians 3, hopefully eventually you'll have that spirit. I want to grab a hold of that which God has grabbed a hold of me for. I press forward the mark that I might grab a hold of what God has grabbed a hold of me for. May all of us have that maturity of mind. And so, again, the Bible doesn't need to tell us if we're walking in the Spirit. We don't have to worry about our faith being hypocritical. We don't have to worry about hating evil. If we're walking in the Spirit, we already are ministering. We already are doing all these things that sanctification talks about. And if you look at each of the epistles, the first half of the epistle you'll always see is what God has done for us. The second half is... Now, this should be your response. If you're not doing this, wake up and start doing this. But out of a genuine love of your heart, it should come natural. You don't tell the newlyweds to tell each other they love each other. You don't tell somebody who's newly married that they should crave one another. They already do. But because we are in sinful flesh, we sometimes lose our fervor, our zeal. And we have to rekindle it through the knowledge of what should be happening unless things do start going backwards. And we don't want that to happen. So tonight, 
He gives in verse 10. <laughs> See, I told you to get there. Romans chapter 12, verse 10. He gives us the ten family obligations. Here's ten things that you need to be doing for the household of God. First of all, we need to be kindly affectionate to one another in brotherly love or in family love. There is, again, the clear concept in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 that says, Look at your calling, brethren. Not many noble, not many mighty, but God has chosen the weak, the abased things of this world, that He might confound the wise. So what is the church made of? The cream of the crop? No. We don't need God a little bit. And it's like the, he said to Joshua McDowell, oh, you're just using God as a crutch. He goes, no way, he's a wheelchair. <laughs> I need him completely. What the blind man, you remember they, they came to the blind man and, and Jesus in John 9 healed the blind man. And he was humble, he was broken, he wanted a touch from the Messiah, he touched him. And the Pharisees come, and Jesus says to the blind man in the Pharisees' hearing, because you were blind, now you see. And the Pharisee said, well, I guess then if we were blind, then now we would see, because that's right. But because you were born seen, you, weren't, you didn't go through your life in poverty and and being made fun of in hardship and difficulty, there is a lack of brokenness in your life and you aren't reaching out to the Messiah. But had you been born blind, that brokenness would have been there. You would have been reaching out to the Messiah. But because you see, you're right, you're blind. Why did most of us see? <laughs> because we were blind and we knew it. We were abased and we knew it. We were weak and we knew it. We were screwing up our lives and we were tired of it. We didn't just say one day, oh, well, maybe I'll accept a Savior. It might be a good thing to do. We needed a Savior. God, I need you to save me. So we got to understand what we have here in the church. We have a bunch of ragamuffins. Me and you. We are all people that irritate each other. That's why... The Bible says in John, the world would know that we are His disciples. Why? Because we love one another. We don't love each other because we're lovable. We love each other because God has loved us because we're not lovable and He still loved us. And so it's just a wonderful thing for the world to see people. And I've seen it so many times where parents have come to me weeping and said, we gave up on that kid. He'd been kicked out of school so many times. All his friends hated him. His relatives can't stand him. The only time we have peace is when he's gone or asleep. You know, we we just given up. And nobody likes him. We don't like him. But yet, down at this church, he tells us that he's really loved there. And they can't believe that we love them. But we really do. And love does change people, doesn't it? I don't think anything else does. I know we don't change from the negative. We only change from the positive. 
And God has truly loved us with an everlasting love. And so we fill it sometimes. And then there's other times we don't fill it. And we got to be reminded, hey, let us be kindly affectionate towards one another. Why? They're family. And you'll find that family of believers are closer than family, even blood. The blood of Christ is thicker than the blood of your own immediate family. And I found more intimacy with those who love the Lord than just those who says, this is your uncle or your aunt or your cousin or whatever. It's always fun to meet new relatives, but it's funner to meet the relatives in Christ. But again, this is one of the great commissions we have is that we need to reach out and be brotherly kind towards each other. Now it says, in honor, in honor, giving preference to one another. Look over, if you would, to Philippians chapter 2. In Philippians chapter 2. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians. And there in verse 1, Paul writes, Therefore, if there is any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, any fellowship of the Spirit, any affection and mercy, fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Verse 3, Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others, what? Better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interest of others. A Christian is to look at others better than themselves, and the Christians to look out for the interests of others more than themselves. What a concept. And so again, the idea is, is that we would choose to view life in that way. The Bible says, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. So we go through life doing for others as we would want done for us. Now some people say, oh, all religions have the golden rule in it. It's not true. There's only, Christianity is the only religion that's in the positive all other religions do have a type of golden rule that it's always in the negative. Don't hurt others so others don't hurt you. Don't wrong others so others don't wrong you. If you don't want bad things to happen to you, don't do bad things to others. It's always in the negative. But in Christianity alone, it says, do. Do. Get out of your seat and do it. Man. If people really loved me down at that church, they'd call me up and invite me over for dinner. You call somebody up and invite them over for dinner. That's the point. Man, I wish somebody would just come and babysit my kids so I could go out on a date. Go, baby, go babysit somebody else's kids so they can go out on a date. Whatever it is that you would desire, do it. If you're wanting a hug, go give somebody else a hug. And this is where we come back, that we need to give that preference to one another. Man, I'm going to get that in seat, and it's mine, you see. How many people would like to have the end seat? Raise your hand. The end seat, the seat at the end. Raise your hand. How many of you would like that end seat? It's amazing how many people in the middle are raising their hands. 
And see, they're doing it. They're preferring one another in love. They're going, man, I know how much I would want that end seat. So I'll, I'll give it to somebody else. And so, not right now, not right now. Thank <laughs> Under heavy conviction of the Holy Spirit, I'm sorry. So next week we come, nobody's in the end seat. So. <laughs> Try it on the freeway. Prefer one another in love. In the supermarket, you see, they're coming. I think I'm about one step in front of them. I want to make sure. Won't pick up the pace. You know. Again, the heart of the believer, the heart of the believer is to say, I know what I want. I want to be first. So therefore, you be first. What a witness that is. And again, these things will come naturally to us by the Spirit of God. If we're overflowing with the love of God, our heart will naturally do these things. But again, because we are fleshly and we do get tired and we justify it going, that guy's not as tired as I am. I deserve to go first. You know, he hasn't worked as many hours as I have. I deserve to go. I've got the kids at home. He doesn't have kids, I'm sure. Well, you know, we can always justify why we should go ahead and put ourselves first. But when we're in the Spirit, we're full of love. We're just saying, hey, I'm in the Lord's timing. Whenever I get home, I get home. God's given me strength. It doesn't matter how tired I am. God will give me more strength yet. If we're in the Spirit, trusting Him, looking in our sufficiency, we'll always have that attitude. But because we're fleshly, we need to have these verses in our mind to do it even when we don't feel it. And then we also read verse 11. We're cooking now, man. It says, hey, <laughs> not lagging in diligence. <laughs> That we're not, it, it, in the Greek it's interesting because it, it's almost the opposite. It means don't be lazy. It's not just don't be lagging in diligence, but it, it means don't let laziness get you. And it's, again, he's talking here about spiritual things. And it's so easy again to take the passages of Scripture that are, you can't do them unless you're living out for God. You can't meditate on God's Word day and night unless the Lord really is at the center of your life and He really is your focus. I can see people hitting and missing reading the Word of God here and there. If something else is their focus, they can still grab God with one arm while they're really pursuing something else. But I can't see somebody doing it day in and day out, year after year, putting God first, meditating on His Word day and night, praying without ceasing, unless that really is their focus. And let me tell you, folks, we're not made to have anything else but Christ as our focus. As we seek first His kingdom and His righteousness, all these other things are added unto us. But you see, when we're trying to have God come along the ride while we're trying to add all these things into us, it's when we start getting ulcers, our body starts giving out, we can't physically make it. We can't emotionally make it. But as we seek first God's kingdom, the jobs you need will come. God will just give you a desire to study like crazy in school. God will give you just a radical heart and insight to, to how to be the best employee you can be. If you'll really put God first, 
you will find that everything that you do touch is blessed by the Lord. That's why it says, if you meditate in God's word day and night, whatever you do indeed will prosper. So don't lag in the things of God. If you don't lag in diligence, again, God will make sure these things are added unto you as he desires. Boy, so many verses on that. Um, again, in 1 Peter chapter 1, it says, Add to your faith diligence. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, it says there, uh, You must believe that he is, and he's a rewarder of those who seek him diligently. Where does the reward come? When you're seeking him diligently. Seeking him in prayer, seeking him in the word. Let's look over at Hebrews chapter 6 together. In verse 10. Hebrews chapter 6, there in verse 10. Hebrews chapter 6, verse 10. For God is not unjust to forget your work and your labor of love, which you have shown towards His name, and that you have ministered to the saints and do minister. And we desire that each one of you show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope until the end. That you do not become sluggish, but imitate those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. And so again, don't get sluggish. Don't lose in diligence. Keep on going until you breathe your last or until the Lord comes back again. Let's not lack in diligence. And so, again, we need to encourage one another. Where are you at in the Word? What did you read today? What's God been speaking to your heart? And hopefully through love, we can stir one another up to good works. And then also, back in Romans chapter 12, verse 11, it says, fervent in spirit. The word there, fervent, is the word zeo, Z-E-O, it's transliteration, it's the word to boil in Greek. And so it literally means be boiling in the Spirit. You just have this heart of, man, the Lord could come back any day. And man, did you read that verse? And oh man, I, I just praying for so-and-so to come to Christ. And oh man, I can't wait. I just bought this new book at the bookstore and I can't wait to, to, to read it. And man, listen to this new album I have. Man, listen to this song. It's just There's just this bubbling up of the things of the Lord in song and word and knowledge and testimony that your heart is bubbling up in the things of the Lord. The Bible says there to speak to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, making melody in your heart to the Lord. There's just this bubbling up of, man, the Lord is good and man, let me share this verse with you. And there's just this constant fervency in the Spirit. Not this moping around. See, when you get earthly minded, you start moping around. You say, man, I don't understand why that would happen. The spiritual mind goes, it doesn't matter why it happened. God's going to turn it all around for good. Man, I can't wait to see how he does it. The earthly minded person says, man, I'm single. I'm still not married. What a bummer. The heavenly-minded person says, man, I'm single, and during this season I can just go all out for Christ. They're heavenly-minded. They've got this spiritual insight on everything. And I'll tell you what, 
Somebody says you can be too heavenly minded for earthly good. That's an awfully earthly statement. They're telling you, quit boiling because it's bothering me. You, if you get heavenly minded, you will be more earthly good than you could ever imagine. Look at Enoch. He was so heavenly minded, the Lord took him. He was just boiling up to the place where God just took him. Believe me, there is no such thing as being too heavenly minded. And if there is such a thing, none of us have anything to worry about at this point. Okay? None of us are getting close enough to really have to worry about it at this point. Okay? If there ever comes that point, it'll have to be somebody else to explain that to us. Because we've not yet seen it. And then it says, serving the Lord. Now earlier in verse 1, it's, it says there again, this is our reasonable service. Uh, and again, the word there, it's worship. But this word here clearly is the word for bond slave. That you would see yourself as a bond slave of Christ. So not lagging in diligence. We're boiling up. So again, let's go back to that concept. Remember the bond slave in the Old Testament. That's the person who was taken, who was being a sluggard. He was letting his fields go unplanted. His family was hungry. He was borrowing and getting more and more in debt until finally the community of elders would get together and say, you're not treating your family right. You're not planting your field. Things are going to pot. You are a slave. And they would take that man and make him a slave of one of the elders for six years. Now during that six years, they would keep his wages. So the time he left at the end of six years, he was a very wealthy man. So it's not the oppressive kind of slavery that we saw in our country and unfortunately in many countries even today. But the scriptural slavery they had, this man would be taken and would be treated like a son. Now if he disobeyed, he would also be beaten. But he would be told how to take care of his wife, how to take care of his kids, how to work, when to get up, when to go to bed. He would be taught the scriptures. And often what would happen at the end of the six years, and he had this option, he would go to the front doorpost and he would hang on to it. And his master says, it's time for you to go free. And he would have to say these very words, I will not go, for I love you. He'd have to say this, I love you and I do not want to go. And at that point, the master would take and put a hole through his ear and put an earring in his ear that everybody would know he was a slave for life. And it was actually a very admirable position because people would see him and say, on your own, you can't be disciplined enough. On your own, you know that there's this opportunity for you to go back to your old way of life and you don't want that to happen and that you see the best version of you when you are in submission under this man. And so what we are saying as Christians is we can't make it without Christ. We're lazy, we're sluggards, we don't treat people right and therefore I willingly come to Christ and say I love you. And He gives us that mark. What is it? The Holy Spirit. And there he's saying now, remember who you are. In 1 Corinthians 6, it says you are no longer your own. You have been bought with a price. You are Christ. Therefore glorify him 
in spirit and in body. You're God's for all of eternity, but you're also God's now. And so we need to constantly be mindful of that. When we get up in the morning, it's not, I am the master of my own life, I decide what I'm going to do with my morning. No. Our master has already told us what we do with our mornings. We are awakened morning by morning. We quicken our ear to hear as a learner, a disciple, that we might have a word to sustain the weary in the day. Our job first thing in the morning is to seek His face. Early in the morning will I seek Thee. We find it all the way through the Scriptures. And so in the morning when we get up, it is a time where we hear from God to receive of His words for that day. And then what does it say in Colossians 3.15? Whatever we do, in word or deed, do all to the glory of God. So now I need to go through the day acknowledging Him. Again, we meditate on God's Word day and night. It doesn't say noon to night. It doesn't say from 5 o'clock in the evening till night. It says day and night. The continual 24-hour period meditating on God's Word. And so again, we need to see ourselves as slaves of God, not lagging in diligence, but fervent in spirit. Yes, Master, what is it you want? Jesus says, why do you say, Lord, Lord, and don't do what I say? Don't call me Lord. And then don't, I mean, the whole idea is, is if you call somebody Lord, that means they're your master. That means you have to do what they say. And so they're coming to him saying, Lord, Lord, stop calling me that if you're not going to do what I say. If you want to do what I say, then call me Lord. That's great. That makes sense. So again, if I gave you five dollars, and then I said, okay, now here's what you've got to do with that $5. I didn't really give it to you, did I? In the same way, if we are going to use a definition, like the word give or we're calling him master, then there comes with that a reality. If the reality is not there, then what we, the verb we want to use didn't happen. The title is not true. And so again, if he really is our master, if he really is our Lord, then we have to live for him 24 hours a day, fervency, diligence, living for God. And in verse 12, end here this evening, rejoicing in hope. What are we rejoicing in? The future. The coming of Jesus Christ. Folks, the Bible says in 1 John 3, if we think on this thing, we'll purify ourselves even as He is pure. There's nothing worth living for on this earth. Have you guys figured that out yet? I mean... You get that new car and you're just like going, oh man, smell that smell and oh, this is so wonderful. And three years later, you're kicking it going, oh, it's a piece of junk, man. And if you just go back in time, remember when you drove off the lot with that, oh man, this is, the, this is it, man. I could die and go to heaven right now. And three years later, you wish you'd never seen that piece of junk. It's that way. Oh, just got to get married. And then after you're married, you're going, why did I ever get married, you know, and... Oh, i got to have that house. And then after you have it, you're going, man, this house, it takes up every bit of my money, it takes all my time up, and man, I wish I could just, oh, those good old days of living in an apartment, you know. <laughs> the only green, real green grass is on the other side of the fence, but it's in heaven. And so we need to constantly be mindful, life is but a vapor. You know what? We're going to be before the Lord in a moment. This last week, I've been visiting people. Man, there's so many that are sick. One dear brother in our church had a little stomach problem. 
been one month now. He's lost about 50 pounds, had cancer all through his stomach. Unless the Lord intervenes, he's not going to be with us much longer. But a month ago, happy and healthy as anybody around us. In the same way, we know how quick life has been. It's almost like we look back over our life and say, it seems like a second thus far. And I'll tell you what, we're going to be 80 years old if we're so lucky. And looking back in the same thing, it's going to seem but a second. It really doesn't matter if it's 40 years or 80 years. Life is but a vapor. So let's really fix our hope upon the revelation to be brought to us at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ or us going to be with him. So rejoicing in heaven, patient in tribulation. Again, hanging in there when you're being tested for righteousness sake, hang in there. And then continuing steadfastly in prayers. And next week we're going to pick up on that very topic right there. Continuing unwaveringly, devotedly in prayer. Well, Lord, we thank you again for your word tonight. Lord, we want to just as we bowed our heart, asking you to come into our life. Lord, we want to bow our hearts now, today and every day. Denying ourselves today, taking up that cross and following you, that that work of sanctification could really be done in our hearts. That we wouldn't have hit and miss love, that, but we would really be a person of love. That we wouldn't occasionally have an accidental bout of patience, but we really would be patient as you are patient that we wouldn't accidentally every once in a while slip into some joy, but truly we would live in your joy. And that all of the fruits of the Spirit would truly be ours. Your love, your joy, your peace, your patience, your kindness, your goodness, your gentleness, your self-control would really be not just your nature, but ours. It wouldn't just be a description of our Lord and Savior, but it would be a description of us as well. Oh, that men would see our good works and glorify our Father in heaven. And Lord, we do know this is your will, our sanctification. Help us now as we take inventory to be able to give our bodies in sanctification and in honor. Lord, we know you're talking to some of us here tonight. Clearly, Lord, as we have not been kindly affectionate to one another in brotherly love, we haven't been giving honor and preference to one another. Many here tonight have been lagging in diligence. They haven't been fervent in spirit. They're not serving their master. They're not the bond slave to their master. And here we are rejoicing in things of the world and not rejoicing in hope. We're starting to give up. We're starting to grow weary. We're not being patient in the tribulation of this world, fighting the fight. Lord, we come tonight and we lay our lives at your feet, saying, Lord, here we are. Take us. If you're here tonight with everybody's head bowed and you really need to have Christ come into your life, like I was talking about earlier, you really sense you need a Savior. The Lord's arms are open wide with a giant smile on His face. The Bible says when those come into Christ, all of heaven rejoices. The Lord has already paid for your sin on the cross, but you do have to receive it as a gift. He's extending it to you tonight. All you have to do right where you're at is just ask Him. Something like this. Just repeat it in your heart. Oh, dear God, you truly are precious. And I do know that you love me. 
You sent your Son, Jesus Christ, to die in my place and to raise again that my sins might be conquered. I ask now that through his crucifixion, the blood that he shed would be my substitute. Come into my life and be truly the Lord of my life. What you say in your word is how I must live. By your strength and your power, I want to live for you now. Forgive me for going astray. Forgive me for living in my own wicked way. My selfishness, my self-centeredness, my lust, my covetousness. But Lord, I ask now that you'd take those sins away and make of me a new person. The opposite of all that. To truly be like Christ. I give my life now into your hands. If you're here tonight, you need that work of sanctification to be sped up. It's at a snail's pace because you've been unwilling to give your body as a living holy sacrifice, which, by the way, is your reasonable act of service unto God. And tonight you want to give your life on that altar tonight. Just picture yourself laying your life upon the altar and just saying, God, I cast my life once again into your hands with my mind, with my words, with my hands, with my feet with my every second and every moment, with all my heart, all my mind, with all my soul, with all my strength, I want now to set to love you. I know time is running out. I know life is but a vapor, and I want to be able to say from this day forward that my life is hidden in Christ and God, that my mind is set upon the things above where Christ is seated, that I'm truly living a life, although I'll stumble and fall, I know, but yet I want my aim, my purpose, not lagging in diligence, fervent in spirit, truly seeking your face and living for you and doing what you say. I surrender my life again to you tonight, Lord, anew and afresh. Bless all your dear saints, Lord, who've come out on this Wednesday night, Lord, showing diligence. Bless them, Lord. Pour your spirit out upon them. Baptize them in your Holy Spirit, overflowing. Fill them up. Give them a fresh boldness for the rest of this week. And truly, Lord, your kingdom come, your will be done. Let's pray the Lord's Prayer together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses as we have forgiven those who have trespassed against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. The Lord bless you and keep you this week. Bye-bye.